KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. We've been living and working in a pandemic for more than a year, and a lot of people are just now feeling burnout creeping up on them. Whether it's anxiety, depression, motivation, or focus problems, I think most people have experienced these things to one extent or another. But after a year of separation and that work-life balance thing being messed up and dealing with incredible loss the whole time, this feels different. So I wanted to find out if burnout right now is any more alarming than the normal kind. What kind of things can we do to work through it? And are our brains resilient enough to recover after all this is over? Dr. Jacqueline Barker is an assistant professor in the Department of Pharmacology and Physiology at Drexel University College of Medicine. Today, I want to talk about burnout. And I think a lot of people have been dealing with this over the last year, mainly, you know, I'm thinking healthcare workers, people who kind of had this whole pandemic started right under their nose, people who and even family members who have to now educate kids from home who are now teachers. And it's been a full year of this. And I think the burnout is maybe getting serious or worse in some cases. So to start, can you just explain what it means to be burnt out and what the brain is actually doing during that time? Sure. Yeah. So when we, you know, when we evolved, right, we evolved to respond to stressors acutely. Our ancestors were hunted by um, animals, right? And so you have this biological response to stress that in acute circumstances is good. It helps you do something you can fight or flight, right? This classic idea we think of. Um, But when this happens over and over, instead of our brains having this transient acute response that allows us to run away or fight back, we shift to this, what we call allostasis or other stasis. Um, And our brains develop this new set point where um, we adapt to this state of chronic stress in some ways. um, And this can change a lot of different components of our brain. And some of the structures uh, in the brain that we think of as being really heavily impacted are, are structures that are involved in things like cognitive control uh, or executive function and our ability to regulate our behavior, like the prefrontal cortex. And then other structures that are associated with things like learning and memory, uh, like the hippocampus, for example. And so we have this sort of continuous onslaught of this stress response that's causing these adaptations that are in theory helping us uh, to cope, but can, can kind of move our set points and change the way that our brain's functioning over time. I guess, I mean, I I think almost everyone has dealt with burnout in their life, but this year has been especially different for, as I mentioned, different careers, pharmacists, grocery store workers, the list goes on and on. Is there a point that this burnout can kind of turn to trauma or PTSD? What's, What's that kind of timeline now for maybe some people? Yeah, so when we think about um, things that can accumulate that cause burnout um, in particular, you know, one of the things that really can drive the development of burnout is the loss of control, right? And so some of those professions you've described in, in, in this context, right, in the context of a pandemic where 
on a day-to-day basis, right? If you're a grocery worker who doesn't have a lot of PTO, you don't have um, the ability to call in sick or to protect yourself, you know, you, you don't have a lot of agency in this setting. And that loss of control can make a lot of difference in, in creating an elevated risk for burnout. And so for uh, people that are in those positions, frontline workers, uh, people with um, high responsibility, but low agency jobs, potentially, you really are at elevated risk there. Um, when we think about trauma, uh, we often think about these acute events, right? And so now what we have in a pandemic, especially uh, for people who maybe they have sick family members, maybe they've lost someone, maybe they're a healthcare worker who is, you know, done how many intubations in a week, uh, which is really different than normal, you now have this acute stress built on a background of accumulating and layering chronic stress. And so neither of these are good. Um, And so you have this sort of combinatorial effect. And what we're seeing is that both this elevated chronic stress and history of protracted chronic stress is driving risk for things like depression. Uh, And then you're um, an elevated risk for these acute stressors to drive um, other neuropsychiatric challenges as well, heightened anxiety, increased risk for things like PTSD in certain populations. Um, And so you know, and one of the things that the CDC has been looking at in relationship to this is not just um, increase in experiencing these symptoms, which is going up across uh, the country right now. People are reporting more depressive and more anxiety-related symptoms, but they're also not receiving access to care in the same way. And so this is another area where the pandemic has sort of added to this burden and added to this burnout because people don't have access to their primary care Uh, providers in the same way. People who um, maybe aren't as uh, tech savvy aren't able to connect um, to some of these remote care, telehealth uh, settings that people have. Sort of the resources, the communities that we've built that can provide support are inaccessible as well. Uh, So I don't know that there's a specific tipping point, but but definitely sort of as a society, um, we're accumulating these risk factors and we're putting those burdens in disproportionately on different aspects of society as well, where certain people are facing heightened uh, consequences of this in sort of an intersectional way. We see this in women, right? Um, We see this with job loss, where Black and brown women have borne actually the majority of job loss in a long-term way. Uh, And so really, we're, we're creating disproportionate burden for aspects of society for these risk factors. And um, I like that you brought up about how the anxiety and depression levels have been going up. I've, I read that this week and I can't help but think, you know, so many people are, you know, either realizing they have anxiety issues or realizing that maybe they were more depressed than, you know, they had previously thought. Do you, do you think these feelings are going to stick around? Like how resilient do you think the brain's going to be now that things are slowly, you know, getting back to somewhat normal? So I, I think there's hope, first of all, right? You know, the brain is more flexible than I think we'd like to give it credit for. Um, we are all, our brain's very plastic, right? And so at any given moment, our brain's responding to cues in the environment, right? My voice, right? Something's happening there. And so I, I do think that, you know, with return to engagement and return to 
you know, perhaps hopefully a lower stress uh, environment, um, that we'll see some hope sort of on a, a related level, I guess. One of the things I'm hopeful of is that we as sort of a society have recognized some of these challenges, right? We've recognized that um, sick days save lives. Um, and maybe we can collectively create space for people to protect their own mental health um, and to create structures where people aren't asked as an individual to prevent their burnout. But we as a as a moral society, I guess, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, can work together uh, to, to create structures that protect people from this sort of burnout culture that has been, has certainly, was here in 2019, right, um, but has uh, really been um, brought to an elevated awareness and uh, brought to the public consciousness. So not to look for the silver lining, but I, I do hope that we can, um, as a as a society recognize this a little bit more as it's become more visible over the last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how you say, right. Society, not just individuals. Yeah. Like a bath isn't going to fix it. Right. (laughs) We have to do a little bit more to, to, to protect people than tell them to like light their favorite candle tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And two, like you said, burnout has been around forever. I mean, people have been talking about that, Has research changed since, I mean, definitely since the pandemic hit, but how are you guys kind of studying burnout now with more people feeling this way? Yeah, so so on my end, we're we're largely preclinical, right? And so we've been modeling this in animal models for a long time. And we've been really interested in sort of teasing apart the different ways that experiencing this chronic stress, especially in these unpredictable um, and uncontrollable ways, can act on the brain. And so we've been really focused on a couple of structures. One is the uh, prefrontal cortex, which is sort of that cognitive control, executive function structure, classically. And then another that we've been thinking about is the hippocampus, which is more classically associated with uh, memory formation. And we know as a field, both in in a mouse, right, and in a a human, we know that experiencing chronic stress can create some profound changes in, in acute and chronic function of these structures. And so, you know, moving towards the clinical perspective, people are really thinking about how to understand can we identify these changes early? Are there factors that can be protective immediately after? If you experience an acute stressor, for example, some of those traumas that you mentioned earlier, if you experience something like that, can we intervene right away? Are there either behavioral or pharmaceutical pharmacotherapeutic strategies we can quickly act on? And then if we're talking about chronic stress, how can we help people identify chronic stress in themselves so that we can interact with them as professionals, engage them and help them them reduce some of these accumulated impacts. I, I hope that we have heightened attention to this on the federal funding side, because I do think that the impact of, of this pandemic are going to be long lasting in some ways. I think that we've seen that there are, again, these, these at-risk populations, right, who maybe have been out of work for a long time, have seen a disproportionate number of their family members get COVID and possibly die of COVID. So I hope that we are able to shoulder that burden as a society a bit better and, and funnel money into ways to uh, reduce these consequences. I really like that you mentioned memory loss because I have this noted. Again, I was reading about this. You know, I've been reading that people are forgetting like minor acquaintances that have been in their life and 
And personally, I had to go to the mall for the first time and I totally forgot about free samples in the food court. Just totally slipped my mind. So is this kind of like normal then? People who are like forgetting little, even like paper menus, like what does it feel like to hold a paper menu in your hand? Like, are these normal feelings then? Like you said, like it's kind of like a stack up of everything that's been happening. Yeah. So some of this I think is stress stress related and some of it I think is just the reality of how we encode memories, right? So our days have become a lot more monotonous or maybe mine have, I don't know, maybe you still have an engaging day to day, but mine has become much more monotonous. And when we form memories, usually we're thinking about something a lot more uh, exciting than like, I walked downstairs and got a yogurt out of the fridge, right? Like we're, our days have had a lot more new stimuli or um, varied information coming in at once. And so we encode this information because it's novel, because it might mean something to us down the road. But whenever our days become really rote, right? When you just like put on your daytime sweatpants and shuffle to the office, you you stop, you, you don't have the same level of information or salience of these different events. And so you don't encode that. And it feels like you're kind of missing some information possibly, right? You're like, what did I do this morning? Was that today? Was that last week? Was that last month? And it it does have this sort of routine feel. And so that's very normal. That's just the way our brains function under good days. It's just that on the good days, there tends to be more information. Uh, But there is also, of course, this this stress factor as well. And so stress does change um, what kind of memories you form It does sort of bias how we perform behaviors that we used to perform, right? Like you're mentioning going to the mall. I kind of like forgot how to go to work, right? Like I, when I was first starting to come back to the office, socks were a thing that I I didn't remember. Like I was like, oh my God, there's all these extra clothes I need to put on. You used to just do those things automatically. It wasn't that every day you were like, socks are an important part of my day. I remember them. I remember which ones I like. I'm going to think about them. You just did it because it was very automatic. But then you spent a year not doing it and you lost that sort of automaticity. And so it feels foreign, It, but it wasn't something that you encoded and thought about probably, I don't know your relationship to socks, but <laughs> probably not something that you were thinking heavily about at that time. But now that you have to redo it again, it's almost... It feels like a relearning event because you've lost that automaticity. Uh, And stress can drive sort of over-reliance on automatic behaviors. And so over the last year, if automatic behavior has become to you, I go downstairs and I pour a cup of tea and then I come back up, that will become automatic for you faster under conditions of chronic stress. And so you may have sort of uh, what we think of as replacement habits. So these sort of automatic behaviors that have overridden your past behaviors. And so it makes those old things feel more foreign and more far away than perhaps they are. But that I think that we will correct very quickly. I think a couple weeks of going into whatever you used to do before, remembering to go to the mall, um, these things I think will come back uh, more quickly. I think we'll break some of these pandemic habits pretty quickly over time. And then on top of that, too, I mean, there's also been spikes in alcohol use at home and and bad habits. Do you see those kind of continuing as things open up or do you like what's kind of the the hope there? Yeah, this is definitely something that we think a lot about in in my lab and in the field. And so we think a lot about alcohol habits in in my lab specifically and 
and overdoses, right, and binge patterns. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a huge uptick in home alcohol purchasing in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if you recall, there was the closures of the liquor stores and uh, people were like bootlegging from Jersey um, to get all their home alcohol with everything closing. That has leveled out a bit. We aren't seeing the same uh, global increase in alcohol purchasing in the state of Pennsylvania that we did at, at the beginning of the pandemic. But definitely we are seeing um, increased home drug and alcohol use. I definitely have concerns about this because these habits can be long lasting, right? So a repeated history of drug and alcohol use can drive subsequent drug and alcohol use, both through the general effects of um, alcohol on the brain and how we learn about drugs uh, drugs and alcohol. And so I, I think that there will need to be some, some resources provided to people to reevaluate their relationships with drug and alcohol. It is difficult to make those changes under acute and chronic stress and it, it makes it harder to self-regulate. It makes it harder to reduce consumption. And so, so it's, it's a, it's a heavy load for people that are wanting to break those relationships with drugs and alcohol right now. I will say, I know that the national Institute that funds alcohol research is very aware of these changes in consumption. And we're very motivated to tackle some of these questions. There are special calls for grants for people who want to understand sort of alcohol in the time of COVID, both changes in drinking patterns for people without COVID, how people who had COVID might experience um, alcohol seeking and alcohol use differently. So we're, we're working on it, but I don't have answers uh, yet there. Along that line, there's um, so non-alcohol. So for opiate uh, use, there has been a, a serious uptick in overdoses uh, during the pandemic as well. And part of this is, is isolation, right? So for opiates, having someone nearby who can help administer anti-overdose med- medications if you do overdose is really important. So this is something that I actually encourage anyone to get trained. You can become a person who is trained to administer uh, Narcan. Uh, Pennsylvania has what's called a standing order where anyone can get a prescription for Narcan at any pharmacy. And so you can very easily be a person who can save a life during this overdose crisis as well. That's, I mean, this um, burnout, like how we began talking about, it's a really big umbrella for a lot of things that are happening right now. Are there, and you mentioned a few just right now with the Narcan, but are there any tips, you know, even when it comes to people who maybe are just finally feeling burnt out, you know, a whole year later, or are just, you know, now feeling like, oh, you know, I have a little bit of anxiety or something like that. Like, how do people feel better? What, what can people do if they're starting to feel this way? Late pandemic burnout, if you will. Yeah. So, so if they are, I mean, I think being self-reflective and recognizing burnout is really important. So even if you don't think you are experiencing burnout, I would encourage people to take time and reflect on how their relationship to their work has changed, how their relationship to their boundaries has changed, right? With many of us working at home, it feels a little bit like you live at work rather than work from home. Um, And so evaluate how you set space between your work and your life, right? Um, 
Do you take a walk at the end of your workday? Do you put your devices down? Um, these sorts of things can help reinforce those boundaries that many of us used to take for granted when we would get in the car or walk home at the end of the day. Um, so that's a step that I think is really important for people. For people who maybe are having a harder time, I also would encourage people to uh, reach out. A lot of healthcare providers are doing virtual counseling and telehealth appointments at low or no cost. Uh, so, and a lot of workplace groups are, are providing this through, so Drexel, for example, has an employee assistance program. Uh, so I would encourage people to take advantage of those low and no cost resources, uh, because even if you aren't sure whether what you're experiencing is burnout, whether it's anxiety, it can help you to put word to those feelings, to recognize whether counseling, whether um, therapeutics will help you uh, create those boundaries and create that mental space that you need. Of course, there's always like little things, right? Exercise is always a good idea. Um, not drinking um, alcohol daily is a good idea. But, but in terms of bigger picture, bigger picture options. I think really creating those boundaries and protecting your time is a really important aspect of reducing burnout. Um, and also just recognizing that you are not alone, right? Um, I think that many of us have begun to accumulate these extra responsibilities across COVID. Uh, there's a name for it that we talk about. I'm on the uh, Women in Medicine and Science Committee here and, and um, the word that is used in that area is the fourth shift, right? So it's now a shift that you you have extra work beyond what you used to do for your job, beyond what you do for self-care and to care for your families. But now it's this extra shift where you're accumulating things you never thought you would do because you are working through a pandemic. And so it's important to recognize that you are not behind. There is more to do than you uh, used to have. And it's it's normal to feel that it's difficult to stay on top of everything. To rest a little bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, one last question, because it does kind of finally feel like we can look ahead. People are getting vaccinated. And I know there's still a lot ahead. You mentioned, you know, we won't know some things for a little bit while now. But is there anything specific that you're looking forward to or anything that, you know, makes you hopeful um, on the other side of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that vaccination is making me very hopeful. I was actually just telling some of my friends this morning that I, I feel suspiciously optimistic for the first time in a long time. Um, I think that um, re-engagement with communities is going to go a long way to improving improving burnout, improving some of these mental health challenges we've discussed, um, to making people feel they're sort of connected with their lives in a way that I think people have not over the last year. And um, as the weather gets nice and people can gather outside, vaccinated people can get together with other vaccinated people. Um, I think it's going to really change change our, our feelings of connection. I and like I mentioned, I do think that this has given some uh, some names to things that have been going on pre-pandemic that hopefully will help people engage with their communities and engage with their workplaces and drive changes that can be really protective moving forward because some of these challenges are just highlighted but not new to the pandemic. And so I, I think that we can hopefully create structures and systems that um, elevate people and provide them with the tools they need to not hit this, this low point again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Stay hopeful. I think that's the key to everything. <laughs> yes, yes. Control and hope. Those are the two things that protect your mind, I think. <laughs> that's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.